It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. It's actually a full-on burr month and we are back with the September episode of Merry Britsmas. I'm your festive obsessed host Adam and I have a lively episode today as October's creeping around the corner. This is actually my 50th episode so congrats to me I suppose for keeping this weird thing up for so long. I'm not sure if I've got many listeners really, but I enjoy making it anyway as it brings me happy Christmas feels the whole year through. And, as I'm British, we don't do big showy anniversary things well. We're far too awkward and reserved for that. So, let's just stick to what we're good at. Staying fully festive. October will bring some creeps, so tune in next month, but for now, we have more results and matchups in the great big Christmas number one showdown. We take a look at another seasonal episode of Lee Mack's long-running sitcom Not Going Out and see what happened when Band-Aid returned for the third time. And let's begin with a third attempt at something. It'll make sense in a moment because we're talking about Band-Aid's Do They Know It's Christmas? I'm sure we all know the story of Bob Geldof watching horrible famine in Ethiopia on the news and deciding to get together a big bunch of famous musicians to record Do They Know It's Christmas? which quickly became a smash hit and a festive classic. I've spoken to you before about the second attempt as well, Band-Aid 2 in 1989, which had a fair bit of success but never hit the heights of the original. Well, you know what, they had to do it again, didn't they? Actually, they've done it four times, but we're up to number three now. I'm gonna save number four for a future episode. And for the 20th anniversary in 2004, Band-Aid 20 unleashed yet another version of Do They Know It's Christmas? This time, the charitable aspect was raising funds for Sudan, specifically in Darfur where conflict between rebel groups and the government led to mass death and disruption throughout the region. Bob Geldof and Midger, as with the previous two, were around for producing and organising duties. From the original lineup, only two artists remained, Bono and Paul McCartney. Bono reputedly almost didn't get his famous Tonight Thank God line with other artists recording a version. But Bono took charge and re-recorded a new take for the new song. Before we get to the singers and musicians on the record, a few new producers joined, including Blur's Damon Albarn and Nigel Godrich, Radiohead's producer. Instrumentation came from Tom York and Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead, Justin and Dean Hawkins of The Darkness, Phil Collins on drums, of course, and Paul McCartney on bass. And I'm going to list quite a lot of the artists involved now, so apologies for the list, because there was a lot of them. There was Tim Wheeler of the band Ash, Daniel and Natasha Bedingfield, Busted, Chris Martin of Coldplay, Dido, Dizzy Rascal, Miss Dynamite, Jamelia, Lamar, Beverly Knight, Katie Malua, Shazne of All Saints, Joss Stone, Sugar Babes, The Thrills, Robbie Williams, Will Young, Rachel Stevens of S Club 7, and Fran Healy of Travis. Fran Healy, who also played some guitar on the song, said, What I will say is you've got to buy the record because it's the only record that's going to save lives this side of Christmas and you can't ask for more than that. This version was recorded on the 14th of November 2004 and had its first play on Radio 1, Virgin Radio and Capital Radio at 8am simultaneously on the 16th of November. 
The music video was broadcast on TV on the 18th of November on all five UK terrestrial channels with an introduction by Madonna for some reason. As well as physical CD purchases, this is the first Band-Aid record of course that had online sales. Initially, iTunes refused to accept the increased amount to pay, as they had a fixed rate for any song to download. A deal was cut with the price staying the same for users, but Apple donating the extra money to the Band-Aid Trust. It sold 72,000 copies in the first 24 hours and went on to be the last single to sell a million physical copies, as digital became the default way of getting your music around this time. The reviews of the song, however, were not great. Chris Nettleton of Drowned in Sound called it musicians and mediocrities going through the motions, and he said there was no passion or charisma in the song. Later on in 2009, producer Nigel Godrich talked about the song for The Guardian and said, The original held a magnifying glass over pop culture at the time. In the 80s, there was this panorama of international stars from the UK. We managed to get great people to do the new one, but about 70% of them were unknown in the States, and we couldn't get a release there. I'm glad I did it though, it raised quite a bit of money. It came on when I was sitting in the lobby somewhere once and it took me a while to recognise it. It sounded good though, better than I remembered. The track itself jumps through some different genres and styles, kind of to match the popular genres and styles of the early 2000s. We have some darkness guitar noodling, some middle of the road singing from the likes of Chris Martin and Katie Malua, some R&B style vocals, and even a rap verse from Dizzy Rascal. Take a listen for yourself and see if you like this updated take on the classic song. The greatest gift they'll get this year is life. As always, we like to take a look at some covers of the song, so let's listen to some quite interesting versions. Surprisingly to me, there's not many covers of this song, perhaps because it's such a uniquely specific song to the nature of the charity focus, people don't try to cover it. So the ones I've found here are now getting a little bit left field. First up is one that was released as a single, but not by a musician. Keith Lemon is a comedy character of Lee Francis, an actor and comedian who rose to fame in the UK with a show called Bo Selector in the mid-2000s impersonating celebrities in caricature and slightly offensive fashion. After the show ended, he took one of his characters, a strangely perverted guy called Keith Lemon, onto other shows such as the Keith Lemon Sketch Show and Celebrity Juice. He even had his own rather rubbish film, and even appeared as a small cameo in the very, very good Rocketman. But back in 2020 during lockdown, he organised and released a cover of Do They Know It's Christmas with celebrities such as Rick Astley, Emma Bunton from the Spice Girls and Ronan Keating. A whole host of less internationally known British celebs were also included, such as Denise Van Outen, Pixie Lot, Fern Cotton, Ricky Wilson, and Matt Goss of Bros. And the Christmas bells that ring there are the clanging chimes of doom. Where else 
Now the next one is not really a proper cover, well it's a cover but not for a single release or live performance, it's taken from a movie. In 2017 Daddy's Home 2 was released, which was, if you didn't guess from the title, the sequel to Daddy's Home, a quite funny and very ridiculous film about a stepdad played by Will Ferrell and a biological dad played by Mark Wahlberg. The sequel has each of their parents turning up for the festive season, respectively John Lithgow and Mel Gibson. In the film's finale, and spoilers if you haven't watched, at the cinema on Christmas Day, the main duo perform an impromptu rendition of this song to bring the Christmas spirit to Roger, the very funny John Senna, and the tough dad of Mark Wahlberg's new stepdaughter, as this is his favourite song. And he even says something that I say often with Christmas songs. I'll put this in box. I don't even care. At Christmas time, it's hard, but when you're having fun, I covered the original festive episode of Gavin and Stacey way back in an early episode and it's one of the most beloved Christmas specials here in the UK, full of humour and heart in equal measure. If you haven't seen the show, you should, but basically it tells the ongoing love story of Gavin, a cheeky chap from Essex, and Stacey, a girl from Barry in Wales, along with the assorted wacky odd family and friends. Gavin and his best friend Smithy, played by the younger James Corden, connect on the phone early on in the festive episode as a song plays on the radio and prompts this wonderful bit of festive spontaneity between mates. Don't just go, mates! For Christmas But say a prayer Pray for the other one At Christmas time It's hard This month I wanted to go back to proper festive sitcom territory, so I turned to an episode of a show that I still haven't watched all of but enjoy when I've seen bits of it here and there. I covered a festive episode of this show back in episode 33 and there are quite a lot of seasonal episodes so it's time for one more. If you don't remember or haven't watched the show, Not Going Out is a BBC show that started in 2006 with Lee Mack as a fictional version of himself, initially living in a London flat as a bumbling unlucky in love layabout and we then see his attempts to win the heart of initially in season 1 Kate, and then Lucy, played by Sally Breton, the sister of his best friend and flatmate Tim, played by Tim Vine. Another key character is Barbara the Cleaner, played by Miranda Hart. Yeah, and 
Over the course of the many episodes in series, now up to season 13 and 99 episodes, the will-they-won't-they they situation with Lucy grows and develops, and we see the very many humorous situations in their relationship. The second seasonal episode of this sitcom was in the third season, airing on 23rd of December 2009, and is called Absent Father Christmas. The episode starts on Boxing Day the 26th of December, and Lee comes out of his bedroom to find Lucy and Barbara taking down the decorations already due to Lee's Christmas Day behaviour. It's Boxing Day. Christmas isn't over. Oh, I think it is. It was over the moment my parents invited my inconsiderate flatmate for Christmas dinner. What did I do wrong? Well, for a start, you didn't get them a present. It's not my fault petrol stations close on Christmas Day. <laughs> what were you going to get them? Air or water? <laughs> what else did I do? Got drunk and asked my mother for a kiss under the mistletoe. Well, it is Christmas. The mistletoe was attached to your belt buckle. <laughs> Well, it's Christmas. <laughs> he tries to make amends by tidying and gets caught up making fun of Tim. Well, a miracle. Lee's using a vacuum cleaner. I'm using it to suck the life out of the room, but now you're here, I can switch it off. <laughs> so, Daisy, get you anything nice for Christmas? This jumper. I think you misheard the question. <laughs> then, Tim tries to catch him out on his plans. This other place isn't set for Lucy, is it? Who? My sister, your landlady, you've lived with her for the last year and a half in this flat. Oh, the bloke with the... That's a woman, is it? No wonder his pants don't fit me properly. I'm just making us both dinner. Oh, yeah. Is KFC open on Boxing Day? I have got some planning skills, Tim. Yes, I have checked, and KFC is open. Well, if it's just a meal, you won't mind if I join you? Fine. Two's company. Three's a family bucket. <laughs> but during Lee and Lucy's almost romantic dinner, the doorbell rings, and it turns out to be Tim's long-absent dad, Frank, played by comedian and entertainer Bobby Ball, and dressed as Santa Claus. Hello, Lee. <laughs> oh, my God. Hello, Dad. So it's true. You do exist. Meanwhile, Tim and his slightly dim girlfriend, Daisy, played by Katie Wicks, are on a festive road trip. Straight on. I'm okay for directions, thanks. We're going to be on this motorway for the next 83 miles. Okay. Fine. Do you want me to drive? You can't drive, can you? Well, I won't know unless I try, will I? And Tim gets worried about his sister. I think Lee is going to try and sleep with Lucy. Oh, don't be so silly. Really? Of course you're not being stupid. It's obvious he's going to try and sleep with me. <laughs> Why not? They clearly fancy each other. Lucy doesn't fancy Lee. Oh, come on. You can tell by the way she rolls her eyes at him. But back in the flat, there's tension between Lee and his dad. So what's this one told you about me, Lucy? Said you were dead. No, he didn't, Frank. All right, I said hoped. <laughs> Always one for the practical jokes. Just like his dad. Yeah. Do you remember that one you did when I was six? You popped out for a bottle of milk and didn't come back for four and a half years. <laughs> well, those queues at Tesco's are massive. And he tries to find out why he's visiting. Look, Dad, what do you really want? There's only two things I want from you, son. Firstly, I want to prove that I'm a new man and a new father. 
A father that cares about other people and not just himself. Especially his own flesh and blood. Just give me a chance to prove I've changed, son. And what's the other thing? Can you lend me 500 quid? <laughs> and then we see that Tim has headed back without his weekend trip taking place to confront his sister. All right, I'll shoot from the hip. Is there anything happening between you and Lee that could possibly be construed as untoward? Shoot from the hip? Have you drawn your gun yet? <laughs> has Lee? Has Lee what? <laughs> Been drawing his gun and showing the goldfish. Oh great, we're back to the goldfish, but now there's a cowboy. Just tell her, right, the cowboy's Lee and you're the goldfish. And the gun is Lee's... We're fine now, thanks. <laughs> and Lee has had enough of his dad. Oh, get lost, you silly old sod, and get out of me flat! <laughs> well, you can't throw Santa Claus out on the street. Daisy, it's my dad. It's not the real Father Christmas. I know your dad isn't the real Father Christmas, Lee. I'm not an idiot. That would make you Jesus. <laughs> and finally, his dad reveals why he's here. But the thing is... I'm dying. There. I've said it. Six months, maybe less. They said there's ways to manage the pain, but that's all they can do. F off. <laughs> and of course, Lee doesn't believe him. It's true, son. I'm on my way out. Well, watch the bottom step. It's very slippy. <laughs> Lee, don't be an idiot. Oh, come off it. He was fine ten minutes ago. As soon as I chuck him out, his days are numbered. I'm dying, son. All right, prove it. Don't they give you a certificate or something? Yeah, or maybe an advent calendar where you can count the days off. <laughs> he then breaks into his dad's lockup to try and find evidence of the hospital letters, and Tim and Daisy follow. All right, so we were checking up on you, but we were right to. Look at you rummaging through your poor dying father's possessions. Well, I don't see any hospital letters, do you? Well, you haven't checked properly, have you? Yeah, now it's always the most obvious place that you end up finding things. You know, I went spent three hours looking for a hat. Guess where it was? On your head? No, in a biscuit tin under the shed. Why is that obvious? Because that's where I buried it. <laughs> During the break-in, Lee does remember a happy day involving a roller coaster and getting a goldfish with his dad that quickly turns sour. You've tried your little heart out and you've still failed. Just nick it. Come on! How can I try to explain oh! when I Been terrified of those things ever since. They're more scared of you than you are of them. <laughs> Not goldfish, roller coasters. <laughs> I know, that's what I meant. And Tim eventually finds something in the lockup and is suitably respectful. Aha! Take a look at this from the hospital. It's fairly unequivocal. See, your dad is dying after all. In your face! <laughs> I mean, I'm. Really sorry about the terrible news. <laughs> Lucy is on hand to offer some good advice to Lee. Don't wait for a funeral to bring you two together. How do you mean? Well, be honest. Would you be upset if you buried him now? Not as upset as he'd be. He's not dead. <laughs> what you need to do is spend some quality time together and get to know each other again. And then when you have, you've got to do the most important thing of all. Which is what? Forgive him. 
total unconditional forgiveness. It's the only way. Thank God for that. I thought you were going to say lend him the 500 quid. <laughs> so Lee spent some quality time with his dad, but at Frank's request, in a gentleman's establishment, and then onto a roller coaster to roll back the years where Lee opens up. Dad, I forgive you. What for? Everything. Every bad thing you've done to me in my life. I don't deserve this. Tough, you're getting it. Yes, but there's other things. If you mean making me suddenly jump in the driver's seat when you got pulled over by the police, I forgive that too. Even if being breathalyzed at the age of 12 was a bit of a shocker. <laughs> and Frank opens up and reveals something too. I've been lying to you. I'm not really dying. But I just wanted someone to kid. The hospital letter. I wrote that myself. I knew you'd go out and find it. You absolute <laughs> And Lee just accepts the situation. I'm sorry, son. That's all right, Dad. At first I was shocked, upset, disappointed. But then I thought, what the hell? He'll die eventually. <laughs> What's going on here, then? What happened to thoughtful, considerately? Lee's doing the right thing, actually. Frank's not dying. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. <laughs> and he even offers his dad some help. I don't know where I'm going to go, where I'm going to sleep, what I'm going to eat. But, hey. That's not your problem, is it? Take this, Dad. What is it? Just some money to help you get started. Ah. Oh. Thanks, son. 20 quid. You're lucky the cash machine had run out of tenors. <laughs> and the episode ends with a Lee and Lucy sit-down and even a cheeky mistletoe moment. How much did you give him? 500 quid. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Actually, it was a grand. Don't push it. <laughs> I do still need to watch more of this show, as whenever I watch an episode for Christmas, I quite enjoy them. It's quick and sharp, and the jokes and the characters are simple yet effective. It feels like an old-fashioned sitcom in many ways, and there are some terms and references that are a bit old-fashioned, but still a good half-hour of comedy. The performances are pitched perfectly for a cosy half-hour festive sitcom, although I felt it could have been a bit more festive, much like the previous episode I discussed. Regardless, I promise this year I'll watch more of this sitcom, so the next time I cover an episode I'll be a not-going-out expert. And finally, it's time to reveal the results of the fourth group of six face-offs in the big Christmas number one showdown. I've randomised every Christmas number one into matching pairs and they're facing off on my social media till we get down to one winner. I'll intro and play a snippet of each song and post them over the course of a couple of weeks, with a few days for voting. I'd love for you to share the posts, get your friends voting and get in touch to let me know which ones you want to win and which ones you want to chuck in the bin. Over the last month you've been voting and the results are as follows. 1984's Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid beat Cliff Richard's Saviour's Day from 1990. 1977's Mull of Kintyre by Wings beat Lily the Pink by The Scaffold from 1968. 1966's Green Grass of Home by Tom Jones beat Food Aid by Lad Baby from 2022. E17's Stay Another Day from 1994 beat Clean Bandit's Rockabye from 2016. 
1998's Goodbye by the Spice Girls, Beat Lad Baby, I Love Sausage Rolls from 2019. And finally, 1992's Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You beat, yes, another one, Lad Baby's Sausage Rolls for Everyone from 2021. So now for the fifth group, the penultimate of the giant first round. Check out each song and watch out on my Twitter, or X account, for voting opportunities in the next couple of weeks. First up is the Pet Shop Boys, Always On My Mind from 1987, versus Band-Aid 20, Do They Know It's Christmas from 2004. Yet another Christmas number one cover, and this time it's a synth-pop take on an Elvis Presley classic, Always On My Mind, with the Scottish duo Pet Shop Boys, who initially performed it on TV for a Presley Memorial special, and it was so well received they decided it needed an official release and a Christmas number one ensued. off against Band-Aid 20 which, if you were listening closely or at all, I've already discussed on this episode. I've said all that I can be said about this version so give it another quick listen. It's hard, but when you're having Next face-off is The Beatles, Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out from 1965 versus 2001's Something Stupid by Robbie Williams and Nicole Kidman. Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out was a double A side of The Beatles' third and final Christmas number one. Both are absolute pop classics written by the Lennon-McCartney machine and I couldn't pick between them so flip to coin and here's a little snippet of We Can Work It Out. Think of what I'm saying We can work it out and get it straight I'll say goodnight We can work it out We can work it out Life is very short And there's no time For fussing and fighting They face off against yet another cover that made Christmas number one and this one is from Robbie Williams, formerly of Take That, and huge solo pop star here in the UK, who covered something stupid with, quite oddly now I think about it as an adult, the film star Nicole Kidman in 2001. You still despise the same old lies you heard the night before And though it's just a line to you, for me it's true I'll never seem so right before The next face-off is 1979's Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 by Pink Floyd versus 1980's There's No One Quite Like Grandma by St. Winifred School Choir a classic in many, many ways from rock and roll icons Pink Floyd, who ensured generations of school kids would declare they don't need no education, although the incorrect grammar says otherwise, taken from their rock opera record, The Wall, that made Christmas number one in 1979. All in all, it's just a brick in the wall. 
and the Floyd clashes with some actual skill children, and I once again state I have not fixed any of these manually, with 1980's St Winifred's School Choir. If you're not British, or just too young, you may not be aware of this odd number, which was written by a songwriter called Gordon Lorenz, absolutely appealing to the family purchase at Christmas, with a real primary school choir from Stockport providing the vocals, and a very sweet Top of the Pops performance. And she's a friend to me The next face-off is 1963's I Wanna Hold Your Hand by The Beatles versus A Moment Like This by Leona Lewis from 2006. In 1963, the Fab Four hit their first Christmas number one with another pop classic, I Want To Hold Your Hand, which was actually the first Beatles song made using four-track equipment, revolutionary at the time. It actually knocked a previous Beatles single, She Loves You, off the top spot. Say to me, let me be your man. off against a modern reality show winner with Leona Lewis who won the third series of The X Factor in 2006 and her top track was another cover but this was a bit off as it was a cover of A Moment Like This which was already a hit single for Kelly Clarkson and another reality TV show winner from the US. So tell me that you don't think I'm crazy When I tell you love has come here and now the next face-off is When a Child is Born from 1976 by Johnny Mathis versus Let's Have Another Party by Winifred Atwell from 1954. A classic crooner, and often seen as a Christmas stalwart, Johnny Mathis is a chameleon of pop music, stepping into soul, R&B, show tunes, Latin and even disco. But this Christmas song was taken from a previous song called Soliado, an Italian tune from 1974. Ah, a ray of hope flickers in the sky A tiny star Lights up way up high All across the land Dawns a brand new morn This comes to pass Where the child was born He faces off against 1954's Let's Have Another Party A celebratory song from Winifred Atwell Only the third ever Christmas number one this is actually a medley of seven songs, such as Nellie Dean, Bye Bye Blackbird and Lily of Laguna, all stuck together and performed by Trinidad and Tobago artist-born pianist, Winifred Atwell, and she became the first black woman to have a Christmas number one hit.
final face-off of the group is 1970's I Hear You Knocking by Dave Edmonds versus Shaken Stevens' Merry Christmas Everyone from 1985. The Welsh pub rock singer Dave Edmonds covered a classic blues rock song called I Hear You Knocking originally from 1955, adding a rock and roll kick and getting the Christmas number one in against a bona fide Christmas classic here in the UK from a fellow Welshman, Shaken Stevens, with Merry Christmas Everyone. Shaky, as he's affectionately known, was originally meant to release the song in 84, but it was pushed back a year to avoid clashing with Band-Aid, and it worked to get him number one. Also, and I swear these are all random, this song was actually produced by Dave Edmonds. Hey everyone and welcome aboard. My name is Chris Kringle, host of the Kringle Talks Christmas podcast, a fun new podcast all the way from sunny old England. If you like listening to cool Christmas stories, traditions and some old personal favourites, then head on over to Kringle Talks Christmas. The episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts and you can also follow me on Twitter, which is at Christmas Talks, spelt K-R-I-S-T-M-A-S Talks. Welcome once again and I hope to see you soon. And so that wraps it up for another episode of Merry Britsmas. It is a Burr month and the Burr months are in full blast now. October is coming with some spooky seasonal stuff and I'm going to actually have two episodes out in October. One that's more Christmas fair with some spooky feelings and one that's more purely Halloween focused. Also, the start of November sees Christmas Podcast Day. So keep an eye on your podcast feed from a number of Christmas podcasts from me and my fellow Christmas podcasters. Give me a follow on social media, all Merry Britsmas, and get voting in the next round of the Big Christmas Number One Showdown. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all.